Revelation 12. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on, on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. And now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan and the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, to the place where she is to be nourished for a time, and times, and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman, to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from its mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Dan. Before we jump in, as I mentioned, my operation was on December 22nd, and I think this is six weeks um, in which my knee has been refilled with cartilage, my own cartilage that was taken from my body, grown and then reinserted. It was rather invasive. I have a massive scar. My kids love it. My one-year-old likes to grab it, and it doesn't feel good. But um, I have been able to recover peacefully, doing very little work, slowly but surely each week, because of the faithful pastoring of our senior pastor, Roger Williams. He's pastored us so faithfully last year, but uh, as I mentioned, he's been doing it solo the last six weeks. 
And as I mentioned, he's crawling in his skin right now, uncomfortable with this. But I do think we need to give honor where honor is due. And so let, let's join, please join me in thanking Roger for solo pastoring the last six weeks. Thank you, brother. I'm going to have to repent of that later, but uh, thank you, truly. I appreciate you. Roger also just walked us through last Sunday, very faithfully and wisely, Revelation 12, verses 1 through 6. Last Sunday, we saw that the Lord nourishes His church. He nourishes you and He nourishes me, His church, in the wilderness as we live in a world at spir- in spiritual war. We, we live in a world that is, that is in the midst of a spiritual world, war. That's so hard to say, a spiritual war. Um, and what the scriptures call our present time, you might have noticed it in our confession of sin, is the wilderness, the time between Jesus' first coming 2,000 years ago and his second coming that is yet future, what theologians call the church age, the right now time between the two comings, is the wilderness. It's a time of, of wandering. It's a time of moving through life, headed towards glory, the ultimate promised land that is yet future. And we looked at God's kindness to nourish us. He cares for his people. He feeds us. We're going to continue to see that theme because he specifically feeds us and nourishes our souls in a specific way. It's through the Son, through Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, ascended, who gave us his spirit. If you're visiting New City this morning, or if you're new to Christianity, we are studying an apocalyptic book of the Bible, a book called Revelation, a book that uses striking images to declare basic truths about our world and about our Christian faith. And it's a book, as you'll see in a few moments, that details life now, what life looks like between the incarnation, the Christmas story of Jesus, and when he comes again, yet future, this entire life, current events, if you will, the the whole span of history, and it does so using prophetic and elevated imagery. Last week, we were introduced to the three main characters of Revelation 12. The first one is the woman. We saw that the woman pictures the covenant people of God. Sure, it might come to its forefront and and, and its singularity in Mary, who gives literal and physical birth to the Son, the child in the story, Jesus Christ. But we know that the woman in Revelation 12 encompasses more than just Mary because the the text uses Old Testament imagery for the, the, the Old Testament faithful people of God the faithful Israel of the Old Testament. As as we'll see today, the woman continues to live throughout all of church history. The woman continues to be pursued by the dragon. You are the woman. I am the woman. thought I'd never say that, but we are the woman, the people of God, the people of the Messiah. The second character in Scripture, in Revelation 12, that we see is the child born of the woman. The the male child, what we know to be the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, our Savior, our Lord. And the third and final main character that we're going to see that we were introduced to last week is the dragon. This is the enemy of God's people, the enemy of Jesus. We saw him trying to eat, to devour Jesus, trying to thwart Jesus' plan and his temptations and in his, his evil schemings. The dragon is the one set on our 
destruction. He is the devil, the Satan, the accuser. We're going to see him and talk about him a little bit more this morning because he is all over Revelation 12. This morning, we are looking at 7 through 17, verses 7 through 17. If you're new to the Bible, the verses, and when I say verse, it's that small number throughout your page, verses 7 through 17. What I want you to primarily see in this text is that although the dragon has been defeated, he's been decisively defeated. I'm going to argue that till I'm red in the face. He's been defeated by the work of Jesus on the cross and in his resurrection, in his ascension to the right hand of God the Father and his sending of the Spirit in Acts 2. Dunzo, defeated. Although he's been defeated, he's still very intent on the harm of Jesus' followers. So our time together this morning is going to explore that paradoxical theme. Satan is defeated and yet still active. And he's very against you. He's very against New City. And he's very against the church. And we're going to see and we're going to examine that that is a thread that runs through the entirety of New, the New Testament. Not just Revelation 12. And then we'll, we'll land our time together going to the table through these God-ordained means that God has given us to conquer, to continue to fight the dragon. So our three points this morning are, one, the dragon has been defeated. Secondly, the dragon still attacks the church. And third and finally, the dragon continues to be overcome or conquered through the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So first, the dragon has been defeated. This is from verses 7 through 12 where I'm getting this. The dragon has been defeated. First, look at verse 7. Now, war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he, that is the dragon, was defeated. And there is no longer any place for him in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down. Who is the dragon? The text tells us. That ancient serpent. Your mind goes back to the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3, who is called the devil and Satan. So we're introduced to a, a, a new character, Michael. Um, Michael is called an archangel. We see him in the, the book of Daniel. We see him mentioned in Jude. He is some sort of strong angel, some sort of general in the the, the Lord's army, he is a bad dude, strong, bad, good guy, fighting the dragon. But I want you to see, one, from the very beginning here, we see that Michael and his angels are fighting the dragon and his angels. Lest we tend to, to slide into thinking that the dragon is more powerful than he is, Unless we slide into thinking we're dualistic people, it's like God himself and the dragon who is his bad equal. We need to see very clearly that, that, that God deals with the dragon by sending his generals. God is far above the dragon. From the outset, we need to see the dragons bested by one of the created angels. His name is Michael. We're not dualistic people. We're, we're, God, we're not sure if God is as strong as the dragon. The second thing I want us to see from the, the opening piece here is, is verse 7 starts with, Now war arose in heaven. And the paragraph break there. Again, the, the paragraph breaks, those, those little italicized headings, if you have a paper Bible, are all added later. This is one story. It's held together with verses 1 through 6. What we 
read this morning, what I just reread, is the same events as verses 1 through 6. Verses 1 through 6 is Jesus coming into the world, the dragon trying to devour Jesus, but he can't. Jesus wins through the, the, the cross, through his resurrection, through his ascension. The dragon doesn't get him. Now, war rose in heaven. If we're not careful, you think, okay, we had the Christmas story, we had all of the Jesus stuff, and then, then we move on, and this is a different event. Or you, you can turn the television on or find uh, sensational preaching that says all of this is yet future. This is not a future battle out there yet to happen. It's actually just the simple conjunction and at the beginning of verse 7. This, like Revelation often does, is retelling the same story of the right now age. It did so in the picture of the dragon, seven heads and horns, and, and coming to attack and devour the woman. And now it pauses and says, hey, let me, let me give you a little picture of what that looked like in heaven. The same period of time, Jesus and his first coming all the way until he comes again, this is what happened. Now, what, what happened in heaven was that Michael and his angels defeated the dragon that began at Jesus' first coming. Verse 10, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. It's a very important thing. I'm going to highlight this throughout our morning. That, 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 that the dragon, who is called the devil and Satan, is called the accuser. The accuser. Underline that. Uh, these names for the dragon, the uh, devil is just the Greek word for slanderer. Hebrew, uh, the, the word the Satan is a uh, much older term. It is a transliteration of the Hebrew word for Satan, the, the Satan, meaning adversary. Just a transliteration of the same letters. He is the slanderer, our adversary, our enemy, our accuser. This is the dragon, and the means by which he fights us, in verse 10, you'll continue on, he's the accuser of our brothers, he's been thrown down, look at this, who accuses them night and day before God. The primary weapon of the enemy in Revelation 12, we'll see some more in a second, but is accusations. He accuses you. He reminds you of all the wrongs that you've done. More on that in a moment. Look at the very end of verse 11. But woe to you, O earth and sea. So it's a praise of heaven. Rejoice, heavens. The dragon's been cast down. But woe to you, O earth and sea. That's, that's us down here. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath. Why? Because he knows his time is short. He's been defeated. He's been bested, but he is ticked. He knows his time is short. Like, a, like, a, like an animal backed into a corner, he's more ferocious, more angry now because he knows he's done. He knows he's lost. He knows he's ultimately headed for the lake of fire, which we'll see in a number of weeks at the end of the book of Revelation. This time is short. That, that is speaking of a time the book of Revelation describes in a number of ways. It is 
the present age. Again, what theologians call the church age. Between Jesus coming at Christmas and yet future glory, we are in a period called the church age. The, the scriptures call it right here the short time. Last week, we saw the 42 months, 1,260 days in verse 6. At the end of the chapter, it's called time, time, and half a times. That's just three and a half years. And we see in Revelation the same period called explicitly three and a half years. So I know it's a little confusing. 1,260 days is 42 months. 42 months is three and a half years. Three and a half years is time, times, and half a time. It's all speaking of the same period of time, the right now time, our time, all of history following Jesus. That is what Revelation is giving us. And throughout this time, the devil is angry. So, verses 7 through 12 has reminded of this. But I want to be very clear. What the truth for us to, be, to, to grasp is that the dragon has been defeated. Revelation 12, 7 through 12, calls it being cast down or cast out of heaven. But, and I do want to labor through these. I'm not going to comment much on them, but I'm going to read them. I put two passages under point one there for you, and then if you'll turn the page, there's two more passages. I want you to see that this isn't the Apostle John making up fancy stuff. This is a repeated theme in the New Testament, that when Jesus died for your sins, when he rose from the dead, when he ascended, that is when he climbed the steps of his throne and sat down and sent the Holy Spirit to fill the lives, to fill the hearts of his followers, the, the devil lost. The war is over. It's not just Revelation 12. Let me show you. So I want you to see it for yourself, though. This was our declaration of pardon, Colossians 2, 3, uh, 13 through 15. God made us alive together with Christ having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. There's your salvation. There's your redemption. You're being forgiven, free, and restored. But look what he also did at the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. When did Jesus triumph over the authorities? The rulers at the cross, the rulers and authorities, Paul elsewhere calls them principalities and powers, rulers and authorities in Ephesians 6. Those are demonic things. That's not just managers, business owners, leaders. Those are dark things. Devils, principalities, powers, demonic hordes were disarmed, triumphed over by Jesus in his death. He's been defeated. Let me show you some more. This is our call to worship. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil. Make no mistake, John in 1 John is very clear that that is talking about the incarnation. God the Son becoming flesh, his name Jesus, in his earthly ministry that we read about in the Gospel accounts. The reason he came was to destroy the works of the devil. I love it. Turn over to the back. Luke 10. In Jesus' earthly ministry, after proclaiming the gospel, the good news of Jesus and his kingdom, he sends out the 72. 72 of his followers and says, Go throughout the towns, heal the sick, 
preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. They come back to him. And when they come back, they come back like, like giddy children with joy. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. We're casting out demons and doing miracles. Could, could you believe this, Jesus? And Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now he goes on to tell them, don't, don't be blown away by that. Be blown away that you're forgiven and your name is written in the book of life. That's the main point. But nevertheless, see that in the earthly ministry of Jesus, as the good news of Jesus is taking over the Middle East, taking over the nation of Israel, Satan falls. He's cast out of heaven. Don't ask, I don't know what all of those things mean. Prior to Jesus, did he have some sort of direct access to God? We, we get a hint of that in Job, where he walks into the throne room of God. He's already a villain, but he's like, hey, what about Job? And there's a conversation among the heavenlies. Like, at Jesus' first coming and Jesus' death and resurrection is now, he's cast out and he's stuck down here, possibly. Again, it's just above my mind, above my pay grade. But nevertheless, Jesus kicks him out. Jesus' work disarms, defeats, destroys the devil and his power. One more. Revelation 20. And now we're getting ahead of ourselves. It's a number of weeks away. This is the same period of time. I'm showing my hand a little bit. This thousand-year period, often called the millennium, is exactly what we're looking at this morning. It's another way of describing the 42 months, the 1,260 days, the time, times, and half a times, the three and a half years, the short time, the time between the times, this present age, it's called a thousand years in Revelation 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his key, or holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain, and he seized the dragon, and it repeats who he is, just lest we forget, that ancient serpent, who is the devil, and Satan. And he bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him. Why? The purpose here. So that he might not deceive the nations any longer until a thousand years were ended. That is Revelation 12. That is him being cast down. That is him being disarmed. That is him being bound, which Jesus uses in a parable in his earthly ministry. That is him being destroyed and defeated. And it's with a purpose. The dragon is bound, he's defeated, he's disarmed so that the nations might not be deceived any longer. Prior to Jesus and his work for you and for me on the cross and through his resurrection, there was a blindness on the nations. There were very few people who saw clearly Yahweh and his glory and his beauty. Very few people actually followed God. They were blinded and deceived and it wasn't just because of their own sinfulness. The dragon did it. But in Jesus' work on the cross and through his resurrection, those scales fell off. The nations can now see Jesus. Do you want proof? Look around you. You're the nations. The nations are not deceived any longer. What started with a band of Jesus and 11 bros has taken over the world. That is the work of Jesus and the apostolic message of 
Christ's death and resurrection, he disarmed, he bound, he defeated, he cast down, he destroyed the devil. Now pause. Because if you're like me, right about now, you're thinking, does that mean the devil is not active anymore? Does, does the devil and his dark people not move against us anymore? Not persecute us anymore? Doesn't seem like it, Taylor. You're crazy. You're wrong. Your theology must be a little off, Taylor. It doesn't seem like the dragon is defeated. And that's where I want to remind you what the text is telling us and what is clear in the New Testament. Actually, our verses 7 through 12 hold these in tandem. The dragon, who is the accuser, has been defeated. He's been thrown down to the earth. Rejoice, O heavens, he's lost. But woe to you, O earth and sea. He knows his time is short, and he's very angry. As we're going to see in 13 through 17, he sets his gaze on the woman, you. Defeated, but still after us. Can't deceive the nations any longer. You're a Christian. It's proof. He's been defeated, but he can't, he can't quite give up yet. He's still going to attack. His accusations, I'm getting ahead of ourselves, don't stick on you anymore, but he still accuses He's been de-teethed. He's on a leash, but he still hates Christ and he hates you. He's defeated and bound, but he's still at work. But, although he is defeated, the text does make clear that this attack is real. Even if he's on a leash and even if he's lost his teeth. Look at verse 13 through 17. This is our second point. The dragon still attacks the church. In verse 13, and when the dragon saw that, his that he had been thrown down, so he knows he's defeated. He, he's been thrown down, barred from heaven maybe, if that's what's going on here. He's been destroyed, disarmed, he's bound, he's limited. He doesn't have the nations under his grip anymore. People are coming to Christ from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. So what does the devil do? He couldn't get the sun, and so he turns his eyes on you and me, on the church as a, as a, as a unit. He knows, so he, it says in verse 13, he knows that he's been thrown down to the earth, and look at this, he pursued the woman who'd given, given, who had given birth to the male child. Jump down to verse 15. The serpent poured water like a river, out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Again, this is Revelation imagery. It's actually kind of cool. The dragon tries to attack the woman, that is the church, the, the believing community of God. How do I know that? Verse 17 tells us that the woman is all those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. The dragon is after you, me, he's after the people of God. He's after Jesus' people. And he pours out water out of his mouth. He tries to attack and kill the church, but the earth comes and opens its mouth and swallows the, the words devour. The dragon tries to devour, but the earth devours. The dragon's devouring. And all of that was just God working. 
It's actually uh, an experience that we, uh, basically all week, the, the, the Bradburys have had pukageddon at our house. It's the first time we've ever experienced something. We're all healthy now, in case you were wondering. But uh, it was the first experience in, in, my, in my life of having children that a, a sickness has got, gone through the house and gotten every single one of us. You know, sickness gets you. It's like it takes out a couple kids. It's batting 50%, batting 500. No, no, every single one of us fell. At one point, Marissa is, is throwing up and she's trying to, to get children into different toilets and bins. And we're all like four of the six are throwing up at the same moment. It was wild. Why did I say that? Oh, all that to say, I think all, uh, <laughs> you just wanted to share our pain with you. But um, I think tempers were a little extra in our house this week, especially Wednesday, Thursday. War arose in, in the house between number one and three. They're not here, and uh, I think I owe them a Lego, each illustration I use of them. But uh, Isaac and Luke were going at it. And uh, Isaac's my seven-year-old. Luke's the four-year-old. You may have had this experience. Luke's mad at the, the older child. He's got something he wants. Luke, do not lay your hands on your brother. He knows it. He can't get his brother. But what can he do? He sets his eyes on his brother's toys. And, I, and Marissa and I are standing there watching it happen. He's processed. I can't, I can't punch him. I can't hit my brother. I'm so mad at him. But his Lego Millennium Falcon is right there. And he beelines for it. He cannot get Isaac, but he can get Isaac's possessions. The dragon has nothing on Jesus. He's already lost. He's on a leash, but he turns his gaze upon the possession of Jesus. He is very intent on striking and breaking and cracking and hurting the followers of Christ. Verses 13 through 17 tell us how, though. It's the mouth. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman. <coughs> Excuse me. I find that interesting. He doesn't breathe fire. He doesn't use his claws and just destroy. He doesn't shred and pull apart. He pours from his mouth. He attacks and persecutes through accusations through deception, through wrong thinking, through bad doctrine, through adultery, through lust, through lying, through sin, through twisted worldview. He pours out his attacks via his mouth, attacks of speech. Our battle, brothers and sisters, I think, I'm not alone in thinking this, the battle rages with the dragon in the realm of words, ideas, thinking, affections, and worldview. Just look at false teachers on TV. Look at prosperity gospel teachers. Look at gender confusion in our world. Look at love is love, sexual ethics on the left. You can love who you want, to, you can love who you want, marry who you want, sleep with who you want. 
Look at the vast greed and prosperity maybe on the other side. The American dream pursued full sin without any reserve. Those are ideas. Those are worldviews. Those are the dragons. Look at the work that Life Centers is working for, that Roger prayed about. Life Centers and Crisis Pregnancy Centers. They're at war against the dragon. Not individual people. Not struggling moms. The dragon is behind them. The dragon is whispering. He attacks through accusations. We'll see that in verse 10, and it's my whole third point, which is increasingly becoming shorter. I apologize. That he accuses the dragon, the devil, that Satan accuses night and day. He's been defeated. He's been disarmed. But how does he fight in this short period that he has left? Friends, he accuses you. He accuses the people of God. He whispers dark thoughts into your mind. Have them doubt God's goodness. Have them question their salvation. Remind them of how sinful they are. Accuse, accuse, accuse. And the dragon, I think a part of this, less clear in the text. The the accusing is very clear. Less clear, but at least the experience of church history and the experience of our present day and age is deception. How does the dragon continue to attack you, attack me? Deceive The dragon can diminish the work of Christ on church through divisions. Just get the people of God mad at one another. Get them fighting and bickering over secondary or even tertiary issues such that they forget the core of Christianity, Jesus, and what unites us together. Split them up. The dragon can't win. He knows he can't. He knows he's lost. But let's just divide up the people of God. Let's get them fighting vehemently and arguing over non-eternal matters, even if they're important ones. Get them bickering. Get them murmuring and backbiting. Let's sow the idea that the gospel's not enough to keep them together. Let's get people, let's get people in the church feeling more at home with non-Christians who think like them politically. than Christians in the church love and care for those who are on the other side of a political idea. That's demonic. That's the dragon. And I feel a tug in my heart every day. If you're finding yourself closer to someone, whether you're finding yourself more right or left on something, and you're finding yourself more at home on CNN or the Daily Wire, Fox or NBC, You feel like those are my pals. And they don't name the name of Christ. Friends, the dragon has got you. The Puritan Thomas Watson, commenting on the church's division uh, division and, and their disagreeing and their backbiting, he says, the murmuring of the devil, the murmuring of God's people is the devil's music. Or, if I can't divide them, the dragon says, let's just get them thinking crazy, unbiblical, unorthodox things. Hence, every cult that has ever happened or every spinoff of 
Christian doctrine. That kind of smells, sounds like Christianity, but it's way off. Or look at the councils in the early ages that argued about the divinity of Christ or the Trinity. Those who, who compromise biblical truth, friends, don't see, oh man, that guy or that gal is not very smart. How could they not believe in the divinity of Christ? Look at that situation and see the dragon. Unbiblical and unorthodox things. The devil's defeated. He's bound. He's cast down. But oh, is he still set on the harm of the church. He's focused on our fighting, but it's a fighting with his mouth. Accusing, division, false teaching. He is after the woman. My third and final point, as we go to the table here in a few moments, is that the dragon continues to be overcome. And he continues to be overcome with something very specific. The, the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. This is verse 11. An entire passage could be spent on, uh, an entire sermon could be spent on verse 11, and it gets three minutes. But it's this passage, this verse, which Roger told us last week is one of his favorites, and it's, it's, a, it's a good reason. It's a glorious verse. Here the people of God, you, are told how to survive in the wilderness. How do we live in our life? How do we live between the two comings of Jesus? And what is our hope of making it? How do we conquer the defeated dragon? The answer is the same way the martyrs in the first century did. The people who die in the book of Revelation. The blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Side thought very quickly. Look at verse 11. They conquered him, the dragon, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Three statements. This is, uh, scholars are, are arguing as whether or not this is two means of warfare or three. Is it by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony? And by them not loving their lives unto death, or is there something else going on here? Um, it could be that there's three, three ways of fighting, or it could be two. That they conquer by the blood of the Lamb, they conquer by the word of their testimony, and that resulted in them not loving their lives even unto death. Or they didn't love their lives even unto death. And because they didn't, they were able to conquer by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. I've held all three views this week. I don't know. All three of those phrases just simply start with a conjunction and. And by the blood. And by the word of their testimony. And they love their lives not even to, unto death. The only problem is that third and final one, them not loving their lives even unto death, is missing the, the preposition, a very important preposition with a specific Greek case, meaning by or because of, which the first two do. They conquered by the blood of the lamb and they conquered by the word of their testimony. And then the third one's missing it. For they love not their lives even unto death. I don't know. But what's clear and what I'm going to uh, really focus on is, is the first two. How do we fight? How do we overcome the dragon's accusations? The blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of the Lamb. He makes us clean. He is the dragon slayer. But he's also the sin and judgment and wrath Slayer, which 1 John 3 held together so perfectly. We are forgiven and righteous now because of Christ and His work. 
Why am I telling you this? Because of Jesus' work and because those united to Jesus by faith are righteous, Satan's accusations don't hold up in court anymore. They don't stick. He can still accuse you. You looked at that again, didn't you? Wow. Overdid it again. Hmm. How many times are you going to do that? Got short with your wife, kids? Oh, impatient again. <laughs> you deserve hell. That's what he's going to say. Again? You are a sinner. You're not enough. <laughs> You're not worthy for the kingdom of God. Have you read about it? You're not going to be there. No way. God can't love you. Look at the mess that you are. You've made a shipwreck of your life. Friends, those in Christ, excuse me, we, we can say with the 16th century reformer Martin Luther who said this, quote, So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And where he is, there I shall be also. The sting of the dragon's accusations loses all power because of the blood of Christ. You are a mess. I am a mess. You deserve hell. I deserve hell. Jesus had other plans. He conquered the dragon. He conquered your sin. We conquer the defeated dragon through that blood. Jesus is the dragon slayer, not you and not me. We conquer, we overcome by the blood. We also conquer, this is my last thought, through the word of our testimony, through testifying to that. They conquered by the word of their testimony. The word about Jesus. Witnessing, testifying to Jesus. The blood of Christ objectively cleanses you, makes you clean and pure. The word of our testimony keeps us near to Jesus and spreads Christ to others. Every moment your heart is warmed for Christ. And every moment somebody else who wasn't a Christian becomes a Christian... We are pushing back the territory of the defeated dragon. Every time an unbeliever comes to their senses, sees God's holiness, sees their sinfulness, sees Christ's atoning work and believes, the dragon is further conquered. We overcome through the blood of Christ and by making much of the blood of Christ, testifying and witnessing to Jesus. That's how the martyrs did it back then. That's how our brothers and sisters throughout history have done it. And that's how you are going to conquer and overcome the already defeated dragon. The blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Friends, there's not a better way to remind ourselves of the blood of Jesus Christ and the word of our testimony. A word that we have, a word that is, I was, now, I was dead and now I'm alive. Then coming to the table. Going to the Lord's table, where the bread and the wine is a visual and physical proclamation of Christ and His work for us and to us. 
This is a meal preaching to our other senses that the dragon has lost. And this is our nourishment. This is how we do life. This is a meal for Christians. If you find yourself trusting, however imperfectly, in Jesus Christ and Him alone for forgiveness and righteousness. If you are one resting in the blood of the Lamb, then this is a meal for you. Come and be nourished by Jesus Himself as we lay hold of His body and His blood given for us and preach to our senses the dragon has lost. Let's keep overcoming Him by the blood of the Lamb.